First Peter, and Peter's uh, an amazing book. Peter was a fisherman, uh, as um, we know, he's a fisherman. And um, fishermen, I always I want to say something about Peter. And uh, fishermen um, at that time were pretty rough guys, you know, as you can imagine. Uh, they are now. Anybody watch some of the the fishing shows? Like, uh, what do you watch? Okay, so uh, Wicked Tuna. <laughs> Wicked Tuna, they do it up north and they do it off the uh, Outer Banks. Yeah, pretty rough guys, right? <laughs> yeah, rough guys. So if you watch any of those shows or the crabbing ones, they go off and get crabs and stuff. Those guys are, are, are pretty rough dudes, you know, so not, not a much different than Peter's time. Uncapped a little bit, you know, a little shabby dressed. Probably the language was not always, you know, godly, uh, as you can imagine, <laughs> right? They bleep it out a lot on the shows, right? But um, just rough people. That's Peter. He's a fisherman. I mean, at heart, that's what he is. There he is. He's a fisherman, right? And um, first century fishermen were um, kind of rough, tough guys. You know, just, just brutal, brutal guys, you know? Uh, full of vigor and tempers and loud most of the time. And here's the thing about it, which is good for us to know, is that when Jesus called Peter, he did so to do some things in Peter, to transform his mind. He called Peter, this rough fisherman, to change his heart. He did so to save his soul. And then once he did that in Peter, and it took some time, everything about Peter's world and life changed. And that's, that is like, that's how the Lord works, right? He takes us like right where we are, smelly like fish, and he turns us into um, followers of his that are becoming more and more like him. How awesome is that? that that's, you know, that's the path I want to walk. I hope that's, that's what you want for your life as, as well, is that we want to become more like God, more like Christ, because we're made in his image. We're made to be like him. And so we've fallen away from that, and what God wants to do in our life is, is like he did with Peter, just one day at a time, help us to become more and more like him. And um, that's true about you and me, it's true about uh, where we are today, and it's true about where Jesus wants to take us, where he wants to move us. So in Peter's book, it's a great letter, uh, we've been talking about this, to God's people, they find themselves in a very uncomfortable situation, right? They're scattered, they've been transplanted out of where they are from, and they've been planted somewhere else up north in Asia Minor, and uh, they've been scattered around, and so it's not very fun for the people that Peter is writing this letter to. And so far, you know, what we've talked about is Peter has encouraged these believers to remember a couple things as we've gone through chapters 1 and 2. And that is this, to remember their place of grace, that they are in God's grace. No matter where they are geographically, they are spiritually in the grace of God. Any better place to be? No, definitely not. So wherever you find yourself, whatever's going on in your life or your world or around you or in you or to you, if you're in God's grace, you're in a good place. That's what Peter reminds them of. He also reminds them of their salvation hope, that they have a salvation and a hope that is not of this world, that even though the stuff on this planet isn't very fun and things happen that we don't like, and sometimes people get transplanted in places they don't want to be, the salvation hope that they have in heaven is bigger than all of that. It's greater than all of that. And Peter's trying to remind them of that. 
He's also trying to remind them to flee from the now and cling to the later. Like this is like kind of reiterating these truths to these people that, that what we, what we uh, have all around us right now is not something we should grab onto. You know, we should flee from the things that are now and temporary and cling to the things that are eternal and forever. And Peter's encouraging these believers that even though they don't like their situation, cling to the things that are later. That's good for me, right? That's good for us to know that, that no matter what happens, you know, our jobs, our kids, our families, things happen we don't like. Things happen that tear our hearts out. The, not, the later is much bigger than the now. And we should hang on to that. Just keep that in mind. Just remember that the, the later is so much better than the now. And he also encourages them to uh, follow the example of Jesus. Right? Jesus exemplified this amazing truth of how he wants us to live. And that if we keep our eyes on Jesus and keep following him, things are going to be okay. We're going to be all right, no matter what happens. You'll get through whatever uh, valleys you walk through. You'll get through. So today, Peter's word is this. Peter's word in chapter 3 is this. Set apart Christ as Lord. That's the, the word for us today, okay? And we're going to just march through this chapter 3. I'm going to try to hustle as I can. I know we got the little guys in here and they're coloring and those coloring pages will probably run out pretty quick. Uh, so we'll try to move through this. But chapter 3, verses 1 to 7 is where I want to begin, okay? Because uh, Peter's going to say some really cool things here. He's going to give some instructions in these first seven verses to husbands and wives. So wherever you are, if you're a husband or a wife, this is, this is for us as well. And this is what Peter says to these people. Remember, they're, they're, mis they're transplanted. They're, they're misplaced. They're, they've been dispersed. And now they're still, in the midst of that, still God is calling them to live a godly life, to be holy and to live the way he's called us to live. So he says, chapter 3, verse 1, Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without talk by, by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and the reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold, jewelry, and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women in the past who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their husbands like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You are daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. Treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you in the, in the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. All right, quick instruction to wives and to husbands as Peter, Peter is like remembering these people. Remember, he's writing to a people who are, who are in a, a strange place, but he's trying to remind them of the things that are true and solid and sure. And, and, and you know what it's like, like if you get uh, in a situation where you're not comfortable, or it's not normal, uh, something happens to you or your family or maybe your community, it's easy to get frazzled to the point of forgetting the basic things. You just kind of lose it, you know what I mean? You kind of, your mind just gets panicky. 
And that would be very normal for these people. And so Peter is like reminding them of things that are just solid and true and right and good and on the rock. And just remember these things. Just don't let the, the, the situation around you distract you from the truth of God's word. And so he gives these instructions to husbands and wives, and he says, wives, submit to your husbands. And the purpose is simple. The purpose is this, is that your lifestyle and that your behavior would represent Jesus in hopes that if any of them don't believe, they would be won over to Christ. Like that's the goal, is that your life would be a reflection of God's glory. And that from, from without saying any words, you would just represent Jesus well even in the, the situation that you find yourself in a land where you don't know people, you're a stranger, and hopes to win, right? He says your beauty should come from like the inside, the inner self, the unfading beauty, the gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth, he says, in God's sight. So for, for wives, Peter says, look, just be a true reflection of Jesus. Be a true reflection of God right where you are. And by doing so, you're going to win people. People are going to see that. They're going to know you, you're not in a very comfortable position where you're living, but they're going to see the power of God alive in you. And that's a powerful thing, you know? And then he says to the husbands, you know, in the same way, which basically means everything he just said for the wives is also true for the husbands, right? In the same way. This is true for you guys. Be considerate with your wives. He says, treat them with respect. As the weaker partner is what the words say. It means, not, it does not referring to lesser value. It's referring to uh, more delicate, more, more valuable, more fragile, like physically and emotionally. Uh, guys are supposed to protect their wives, right? Like fine china. Not like, um, not in a bad way, but in like a, in a, in a valuable way that if the husband is doing what he should do, the wife will feel like a queen, right? She'll feel more valued, not less. In this section, it goes back to creation in a way, right? Adam and Eve, right? Adam was made out of what? Dirt, right? So he's tougher than dirt, right? That's Adam. He's, that's like, he's like Peter. He's like this rugged, that's the man, right? Just rugged, like, come on, right? Nothing, things bounce off you, right? Nothing keeps you down too long, right? You get back up and you go. Eve was made from Adam's rib or bone, right? She's more fragile, more brittle, more need of protection. And that's the whole idea Peter's trying to say. Look, look, you're, you're a husband and wife, you're a team. Be God's team right where you are. Even though your surroundings is new and you don't like the way it is, uh, be a true reflection of a husband and a wife right where you're at. Let God use that in a mighty, mighty way. And then he says, as heirs, meaning, you know, together in the gift of life, like we both will inherit kind of this equality in the promise of God that both are headed in the same direction in eternity with Christ. Both have the same hope. Both have the same promise. And he says that our prayer is affected by this relationship and how we live it that your prayers are affected by this, right? So that nothing will hinder your prayers. Wife, you live the way God calls you to live. Husbands, you live the way God calls you to live, and nothing will hinder your prayers, right? Get out of line with that and change it. Do what you want, and things, everything changes. And God will not hear your prayers. Do it God's way, and everything will be fine, right? That's the bottom line to life, isn't it? When we start making up the rules, 
we start saying we can call the shots and we know better than God, we begin to move in a, in a direction that is away from God and that path does not lead to anything good. So those in a foreign place, he says, like to them and to you and me who live in this world, but this world is not our home, right? We're not home here. This truth, his truth does not change just because your circumstances do, right? The truth of God does not change. And married people, he says in these first seven verses, you have a role to play no matter where you live. Man, like be God's man right where you are. Women, be God's woman right where you are. And that's the beauty of this, right? That's the beauty of the gospel, that God speaks to every issue. And in, in this chapter 3, Peter hits on this idea of husbands and wives. Sorry, verse 8. Verse 8 to 17, Peter continues with this instruction. We're not going to read this, but we're going to kind of march through it. So just follow with me if you've got your Bibles open. And uh, each of these sections, you know, as Peter writes this letter, and he repeats certain things. As you read through 1 Peter, you notice that he repeats certain things that are important to, to them that they hear. And uh, in this section, it's filled with, like, instructions of how to live, like, real practical stuff, like what to do and what not to do, just like stuff we need. Like, God, just tell me what I should do, right? That's what we want to know. God, just tell me how I should act, how I should live. And that's what Peter does. And verses 8 and 9 are a great example of this. Look what he says. Finally, all of you, all of you, husbands, wives, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, no matter where you are or what's going on or how people are treating you. On the contrary, repay evil with a blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. That is so cool, right? Real simple stuff here. Nothing complicated. We don't need a, some guy with a doctrine and whatever theology to explain this to us. It's really clear. Here's how we should live and here's the things to avoid. Real simple. Anyone can read it, right? Be this. And do not do that. Like, right? That's what he says. Be like-minded. Be sympathetic. Love one another. Be compassionate. Humble. Do not repay evil for the evil or insult with insult. I mean, very clear direction. And the key, the key verse in this section, um, 8 to 17, is verse 15, where um, Peter says in, in that verse, he says, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Hey, that's going to be the, the focal point of this whole chapter for Peter. In the New American Standard Bible, it says this, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your heights, hearts. Your version may say something different. Instead, in the International Standard Version, it says, instead, exalt the Messiah as Lord of your lives. The idea is to set apart Christ. Let Jesus be the Lord of who you are. Right? So in your hearts break this down a little bit, in your hearts, at the core of who you are, right? The place of your thoughts and your feelings, the very middle of you, the very center of who you are, your core. He says, you, you set Christ apart in your hearts. Revere him or sanctify him. Make Jesus holy in you. Purify yourself to him. Be consecrated to him. And as Christ is Lord, he says, in other words, you, you let Jesus be master. He is the master, right? He is the Lord. He is the authority. He is supreme. So in your hearts, you tell yourself, you tell the world, you tell the enemy, you tell God, Jesus is Lord of this life. That's what we do. 
That's what Peter's saying to them to do. You, you make a conscious decision to say, Christ is Lord of me. Everything about me from the very core to the very outside. Everything. He is Lord. And then this is not just like a decision of the mind that Peter's talking about. He's talking about the act of your will and your behavior. Like, it isn't enough to say Jesus is Lord if you don't live it. If you're going to say it, you live it, right? We know that, right? So that's what God is looking for, not just a decision of our lips, but a change of our heart, our tra uh, transformation of our mind, and the changing of how we live and how we act and what we do with our behavior. So just like Peter would do, he gives us like a number of ways to bring this command right, to life, how, how we can live it out, how we can set apart Christ as Lord. He begins with a quote from Psalm 34. Do you see it there in verse 10 and 11 and 12? He says, for whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil, setting apart Christ is Lord. Like, that's the goal, right? Anybody want to do that? Want to do it? Raise your hand. All right, setting apart Christ is Lord. That's what I want to do, right, every day. Knowing that I could wake up tomorrow and, and forget that that's what I'm supposed to be doing because of life. Things crowd us out, right? They crowd out the important things in our life. That's what the devil's really good at, like throwing things in our way so we get distracted from what we know we ought to be doing. And what we want to be doing is setting apart Christ as Lord of my life, right, every day. Right? That's the core of who I want to be. And so Peter gives us some things. Here he gives us four things in these few verses that, that I want to just point out to you. Number one is this, verse 10. He says, love life. Love life. Not this world. He doesn't say love this world. He doesn't love, say love the systems of the world. He says, but if, if whoever, whoever would love life and see good days, would, you would want to consider a few things. And that's these things. If you want to love life, your tongue, Right? You're telling, you want to love life, he doesn't say, you know, play the stock market or gamble or do some of the worldly things that people do to love life or to think that if I have more, I can love life better, okay? He's not talking about that at all. This has nothing to do with those things. He says, you want to love life and you want to see good days, then you keep your tongue, keep your tongue from evil and from deceitful speech. I never thought of that, right? I thought if I wanted to have good life, I needed to, like, have more money, right? That's the natural thinking, is that if I want to have a, life, uh, a good life, I need to, like, have a better house or a faster and nicer car. All the physical things that the world says you need to have a good life. But that's not what God's talking about when he says love life. He's talking about you, who you are, and how you interact with the world and how God then interacts with you. Like, that's what he's after, right? You keep your tongue from evil and deceitful speech, things that you shouldn't say, don't say. Stop saying them. And if you set them up to this point, just stop. That's, that's, how, easy, that's how easy it is, right? Just stop. Don't do it anymore. Just give it up. Identify and say, that's enough. I'm not doing that anymore. I'm going to bite my tongue. Bite my tongue. That would be a good thing to do right there, right? Bite your tongue. Turn from evil and do good. That's what Peter says. You want to love life? Turn from evil. Stop doing things you shouldn't do and just start doing the good things. Not hard, is it? I mean, it's easy, right? Anybody can do that. 
He says, seek peace and pursue it. Like you want, you want to love life, then seek peace. Try to be a, the kind of person who brings peace to the situation and pursue peace, the peace of God. Not, not peace of the world, not that kind of peace, but the peace that comes from a relationship with the Lord, like peace with God and, and peace in your inner spirit, like this, this understanding and confidence that you are a child of God's. Seek that peace. Pursue that peace. Chase after it. Here's why. Verse 12, because the Lord is watching and he's looking, what he's looking for is a person who has set apart Christ as Lord. That's who he's looking for. That's who God is looking for. Not only is his eyes looking for that, but his ears as well, right? See the verse 12? And they're attentive to their prayers. That's who the the Lord listens to. People who love the Lord, who have set apart Christ as Lord, who are striving in their lives to be like Christ and not like the devil. That's who God is looking for. See, not so with the evildoers. The face of the Lord is against them. Don't be there. Don't be in that group. They will find themselves fighting against the Lord. Right? That's where they will find themselves. See, when Jesus is Lord and Savior, then you are truly at the center of his will. When, he, when you have set apart the Lord as Savior and Lord of your life, you are at the cent, center of the will of God, and he hears your prayers. That's what Peter is saying to us. That's the promise. In the remaining verses, he points out some key ways uh, to uh, set Jesus apart in life. In verse uh, 13, look what he says. Number two, he says, do good. Okay, love life, do good, number two. Do good, and not only do good, but like be eager to do good. Like, I mean, right, that's not hard, right? Do good, just do good. See, you see an opportunity, do good. Like, it's easy, just do good. Say that with me, it just kind of pops out of your mouth, right? Say, do good, do good. Like, like it kind of gives you a little pep in your step, doesn't it? Do good. It's like, you can't say it like, do good. You right? You got to say, like, do good. It's like it just automatically, like, lifts your spirit, right? And should lift the spirit of people around you, right? Just do good. Just go do good. Like, one good thing after another, just go out from these doors and just do good. See a good, do good. Just see an opportunity, just do, just do it. Just go for it. You know, just do good, right? You may suffer. Peter's trying to remind these people, like, we know you don't like your situation. You may have to suffer in the hands of evil for a little while, and people around you don't like you because you're a foreigner in their land, and you're a stranger, and they don't know if they can trust you. Do good. Just do good, because doing good wins the hearts of people. Just do good. For now, you know, this is going to be a short-lived time of you having to suffer a little while, but you Peter's trying to remind them, but if you'll just do good, you'll be blessed by God. God will bless that. Number three, he says this, verse 15, he says, be prepared, right? Be prepared. That's how you set apart Christ as Lord. You just be prepared, be prepared, right? Ready to share the hope that you have in God. You are among people who don't know the Lord. They're strangers. They're outcasts. You're the seed of God planted in a new place. And as you grow, as you do good, as you love life, be prepared. Like, be prepared to share the love of God with the people around you. Like, be prepared. Always be ready to do this. But do it with gentleness. Do it with respect. Don't do it in any other manner. You know, do it in a good way. With this awareness, do it with this awareness of the grace that has been given to you. Like, God has extended grace to you. 
Keep that in mind as you share the grace of God because God has forgiven me a lot, right? I don't deserve his grace. I don't deserve any of his promises. I don't deserve any of it. And so I am prepared with this thought in mind that I don't deserve it, but he's given it to me, and I want other people to know that, keeping, keeping your mind right like on the later, not on the now, like remembering that the hope that is ours and the promises that are ours, and I'm going to share and be ready to share so that people will understand who God is and that he loves them too, right? And the fourth thing is this, verse 16, he says, be clear-minded, right? Be clear-minded. So Peter says, look, love life, do good, be prepared, number four, be clear-minded, right? Keep a clean conscience. Be innocent of accusations or guilt, right? Leave, like, leave the pointing fingers empty of evidence. That's a good one, right? Like they point at you, how wrong you are, but there's no evidence to back it up. Right? That's, that's how we should leave people with nothing, nothing that matters that they could point to us and say, you did this or you said that or you act like that. Empty of evidence because setting Christ as Lord means that we're innocent like he was. Well, as much as we possibly can be, right? Because we got struggle with that. But be clear-minded, he says, be clear-minded. Set apart Christ as Lord, be clear-minded. Keep your mind on the Lord. Keep your mind on things above, not on things of this world. Verses 18 to 22 uh, is about Jesus who suffered for us, right? The last section of this chapter, uh, the righteous for the unrighteous, right? The one who suffered for you and me, he's righteous, he suffered. I'm unrighteous, he suffered for me. Doesn't make sense, but that's what God did. The one who is worthy suffered for the many who are unworthy. Right? And, and we keep that in mind, and Peter wants to remind them that, yeah, you're in a bad place, but you just keep this in mind, you're guilty too. And Christ suffered for you, and he loves you. He died for you. And why did he do that? To bring us, look what the verse says in the, verse 18, to bring us to God, that's why. He did it to bring us to God. Verse 18, let's read the last part of this. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit, through whom also he went, and he preached to the spirits in prison, who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. That's, pretty, that's a mouthful, right? Peter says a bunch right there to them about this and about who Jesus is. He touches on what Jesus did in those three days that he was in the tomb, right? He went and he preached to those imprisoned spirits, right? Which is uh, a mouthful in, in, a, in a long study at some point. We might do that. But um, that, that, that's what Jesus, when he was dead, did in the spirit. He went and preached in some way to those that in the past had disobeyed. Peter connects in these verses, if you're looking at this, he connects the flood of Noah with baptism into Jesus. 
right? And, and, and he's doing this for a purpose, right? Not just for them, because these are believers, but for their witness to those around them, right? This is not just instruction for them, like we need instruction, but we also need instruction on how to reach the world around us, because that's what God wants to do. He's planted you here in Burlington for a reason. You're not here for, by accident, right? I'm not here by accident. He planted you and me here to grow together in this beautiful garden of who we are to reach the world. That's why he put us here, okay? You may have other things in mind, but that's why he put you here. And he's t- touching on some of these things, and he's connecting the flood and the baptism of Jesus. In verse 20, uh, 21a, he says, this water, if you're looking at that, well, this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you. Baptism, let me, let me touch on that for a minute, right? Is baptism a work like the Old Testament law? Don't answer that, just think about it. Is, is baptism a work like the Old Testament law was a work? Right? Keep the commands, do what Moses said. On Wednesday nights, we're studying in, through the book of Galatians. Great study, if you're not coming, come. Okay, Paul in, in the book of Galatians is building this case that we are, that we are not justified by obeying the law. And, and Paul is referring to the law, the Old Testament law. He's referring to Moses and the prophets, the Old Testament com- commands. He's referring to everything, get this, prior to Jesus. So check out the slide with me for a minute, this next day. Okay, so there we have the Old Testament law and the covenant through Abraham. We have Jesus and then we have the new covenant, okay? So in your mind, keep, that, keep those things straight. Three separate pieces of history. So the new covenant, there it is, is entered in a new way. In that upper room, remember Jesus took the cup and he said, this cup is the what? Go back, go back to this. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, you can stay there. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, he said, which is poured out for you, right? So the old covenant now, because Jesus has come, has been fulfilled and no longer in effect. Jesus now is establishing a new covenant. And what Jesus said we must do in the new covenant is true and good, and we must obey it in full, right? In full. We cannot take, go back to that last slide, we cannot take what Jesus said about the new covenant, right? Get that. And the scripture about the Old Testament law, and put it all together and write it off as works. That's not right. When Scripture says we're saved by grace and not by work, it's it's referring in the New Testament about the Old Testament law, not the new covenant in his blood and the requirements that Jesus laid out in the new covenant. That's why, as you read through the New Testament, Jesus said you must be born again. It's why in Acts 2 it says, repent and be baptized, every one of you. It's why Jesus said, go into all the world, make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them to obey everything. And Acts 3 says, repent and turn to God. It's about the new covenant and following Jesus in a new way, in a new covenant. And we're called to respond to Jesus in a new covenant way, which includes us confessing Jesus as Lord, repenting of our sins, and being immersed into Christ. Verse 21b of our passage He says it's about the resurrection of Jesus. He's going to tie this all together. Really cool. And he says it's about Christ, Jesus Christ, who conquers death. And all of this is tied together in this new covenant way. That the death and the grave have been been conquered and your sins have been covered. 
Like our sins have been done away with. So Jesus offers you and he offers to me new life in him. And that, that resurrection is about a death, it's about a burial, and it's about new life, resurrection in Jesus. And at baptism, in baptism, we are identifying with Jesus in the very act of salvation. Right? We are dying to ourselves in baptism, and we're being raised in a newness of life. Last passage I want to share with you, Colossians chapter 2, says this. Paul's talking, verse 6, he says, So then, just as you receive Christ as Lord, he's talking to the Colossians here, continue to live your lives in Him, in Jesus, rooted and built up in Him, right? That's like all in, all in with Jesus, strengthened in the faith as you are taught, overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow or deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition, the Old Testament ways, right? And the elementary spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ, Jesus, right? The new covenant. For in Christ, all of the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. All of it lives in Jesus. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole, your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. What Jesus did in your heart. Verse 12 is our key. Verse 12, he says, having been buried with him in baptism. Okay, that's this whole idea of what Peter is saying to the believers at the end of chapter 3 about this water and this baptism. Peter says, uh, or Paul says in Colossians, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. That's what it's about. It's the only way that we can begin this new relationship with the Lord Jesus. And it's the only way that we can begin to set apart Christ as Lord is by responding to him in this new covenant way that Jesus has established for you and for me. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much. We're so grateful that you love us, God, that you have given us your word that Peter, in his instruction to these people who are scattered abroad, can say to them, that this is, this is what God wants for us. This is his will for our life. Not just in how we live day by day, but how we respond to you for the very first time. And Father, I pray that you would help us to, to understand, one, that you love us, you want us to know you, but two, that you want now to use us as your hands and your feet and your mouthpiece to the world. That we would share with our friends, that we'd always be ready and prepared to share the good news of who you are that we would respond to you however it is you're calling us to respond to you today. Whatever step it is we need to take, Father, you would give us courage to take that step. And we love you so much. Thank you for each person here today. Pray you'll speak and move in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.